guys, I'm Richard Fitzgerald. This is Dubai Works, where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city. That business with scalability was very interesting to me. I like building something that has legacy. So this episode was really about the car industry in the UAE and all about marketplaces and e-commerce. Uh, everyone will have had experience with a dealership or the known online portals like Dubizzle, Yala Motor, Sell Any Car, and Dubie Cars have really kind of carved out a core business in that space as well. So it's fascinating to hear all about it. And one of the kind of key takeaways I had from it is that how Dubai is becoming an export hub for cars and how it's growing, uh, not just to other businesses around the world, but to consumers directly as well. So it's fascinating talking to Craig. Uh, enjoy the conversation. Welcome back to another episode of Dubai Works Business Podcast. Today, we're joined by Craig Stevens, the CEO of Doobie Cars, one of UAE's most trusted car dealerships. Doobie Cars have always made it a point to make the vehicle purchasing experience, purchasing experience as enjoyable and transparent as possible for the customers. As of late, they've been making it their mission to catalyze the growth through digitalization of their business model. So on the show today, we'll be talking all about Doobie Cars, the digital transformation in automotive industry, how competitive the market is, and the future plans. Welcome, Craig. Hi, good to meet you. Thanks for coming on. Thanks Pleasure. Thanks for coming in. So you've branded Doobie yeah, Cars. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's it's an interesting story. Can you tell us how it started? Yeah, well, it actually started uh, seven years ago, so before my time. And it started with uh, an entrepreneur who uh, liked Dubai, liked the car market, could see that it was going to be a good used car online market, uh, worked with an investor, set the business up, uh, did very well, got the business moving in the right direction. Uh, and then three years ago, uh, Michael Lahaney, who owns uh, Property Finder, uh, got very excited about cars as well. And he decided to become the majority shareholder of the business. Uh, then he contacted me and asked me if I'd like to come over and get involved and, and run the business. Uh, I have 20 years experience in doing this uh, okay. across the globe uh, in terms of uh, digitizing uh, automotive buying online. Um, and I could see the opportunity in the Middle East. I came over with my wife and children. We had a good look at the schools and the market and the property and everything else and said, you know what, this is the right time for us to come across and, and get involved. And haven't looked back. So yeah, we've had three years now. And as you say, we're focused on making car buying, car selling enjoyable, easy, transparent for consumers. And we're also making it easy for car dealers to transact online. And that's kind of our main mission for our business. Interesting. So much to unpack there. Uh, I'll start at the beginning in terms of it's a marketplace. It's, you know, were there things before? Is there an equivalent of of that? And how did how did uh, the founder go about building uh, building such a company? Yeah, so I mean, it is a marketplace. So it's about connecting buyers and sellers. And there are different marketplaces available for cars in the UAE, but they don't focus just on cars. So the main one would focus on multiple verticals and therefore my coffee has turned up, which is really important. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, so they, they focus on uh, multiple verticals and therefore they're not specific in the car vertical. And I think 
if you're really going to win in the car vertical, you have to be specific. You okay. have to go deep into that vertical with mm. data, tools, products, and really understand it inside out. So that's that was the in. That's where the the original founder found the in. And then it was about just building content, right? Because that's what marketplace is about. You're not a marketplace unless you've got great quality content. So we focus very much on a making sure the cars are real cars, they're verified cars. Um, we make sure that they're photographed brilliantly. We have a huge operations team that go around with great cameras and, and take videos and photographs to make sure we have beautiful photographs and, and videos. We focus on the descriptions to make sure we actually describe the vehicles well. And we focus on the price to make sure the seller's pricing the vehicle correctly so it's attractive to the, the seller. Mm. So when you've got all those things, you've got the right content, and then you have to get the audience. And what we've done well is focus on SEO. Just make sure okay. that we've got really good quality SEO. Uh, because nine times out of ten, when someone's looking to buy a car, they don't actually know what they want. Uh, and there's so much choice out there. So being good at SEO when someone's thinking about, I want to buy a new SUV, or I want to go off into the desert, or what's good in the summer for a convertible, making sure you can answer all those questions and bring people back to your content mm. is, is key. That's the key to help them through the decision purchasing decision process. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I don't know the exact number now, but it's something like this: fifteen thousand different make, models, and variants, right? So there's a lot of there's a lot of choice out there. Yeah, uh, and it's sometimes you know a bit daunting for a consumer to think, well, what, what kind of car do I want to buy? Yeah, you know? and the and the SUV market over here. I mean, the SUVs now are. 65% of total car sold are SUVs. Wow. Yeah. Now, you think, you know, four or five years ago, everyone was saying the cars are going to get smaller and we're going to be driving around in these little tiny boxes with tiny engines. That's not what we're saying. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, yeah, cars are getting bigger. Yeah. Uh, they're getting bigger. And people mm. now see them as a, a vehicle, literally a vehicle to get out of their house, go into the desert, go down to the beach, go and drive around the countryside. They want a bigger car. And that's versatile, yeah. Yeah, that's versatile, that's, that's safe. It's got lots of visibility, nice big windows you can see out of it, and that's definitely what we're seeing in this market. And so the idea of buying a car online, if we if we look at it from that point of view, uh, I used to work in uh, marketing, and a lot of the automotive companies would focus on leads, and you know it was all always to get people into the showroom. Um, do you see how much of the transaction and decision making process do you see actually happens online? Is it is the full transaction done online? No, it's it's not. And there are companies trying to do the full transaction online, but it's very difficult in this market to do the full transaction. I mean, one of the reasons is 70% of the cars are bought with finance, and actually you still can't get car finance online. Mm. You still need this ah. body check where someone comes to meet you, take your Emirates ID and whatever else. So that's, yeah. that's a barrier. Um, and then you've still got to register the car, you've got to meet at the RTA, you've got to hand over the relevant documents. There are certain things that are still offline, which stuff like I have no doubt, and we are very confident that over the next couple of years, we'll solve those issues and you will be able to transact fully Great. online. But I think you've got to ask the question, how many people really want to transact online when they're buying a car? And I think, you know, if you speak to people, they want to get in the car, they want to smell the car, they want to feel the car, they want to make sure the seat is comfortable. That they, and, and it's very difficult to replicate all of those things. So I think... You know, dealers are right to still get people to focus on getting to the showroom and visiting them, but they've got to think about how they engage consumers to get them yeah. to, to the showroom. Yeah. It's not just about leads. Okay, <laughs> I got it. But in terms of uh, digital as a marketplace and Doobie Cars as a position, as a website and a product and an app, uh, you know, with e-commerce, you can transact and it can be delivered. With property, 
you obviously would like to see the property. With, with the automotive space, what was the thesis behind Doobie Cars? What problem were you trying to solve and, and how did it end up in the way it is? Yeah, so the problem that we uh, were solving was giving the dealers a good platform in which to put their content. So that was okay. the original thing, right? Because they weren't happy with the existing uh, incumbents in the marketplace and they wanted a, sh a proper online marketplace that enabled them to do video, photographs, okay. and, and have that as their, their... So that was the original thesis behind it. We've moved on since then. Uh, we're now about how do we enable car dealers to become online retailers? So what other tools do they need so they can trade online? Mm. Um, and look, you know, this market is bigger for the export market than it is for the local market. So the export guys do buy online. I mean, they don't come, they don't fly over to test drive the car from Africa or whatever. And and we are now doing that full transaction online. So, you know, it's about how do we make car dealers online retailers? And from a consumer, how do we build trust, transparency through data, great tools, great content to get the consumer, if they want to transact, they can. Mm. But even if they don't want to transact fully online, they've got everything they need to, to feel comfortable to do that. Yeah. So when they do get to the dealer, they're very well qualified. They know what they want. They've seen the car. We've now got spin car, which enables you to go right the way around the car okay. and see it and zoom in, zoom out. You know, the car dealer now is no longer dealing with a prospect. They're facilitating a deal. Mm. And that's what the dealer has to think about is this person probably knows more about the car than I, you know, than the car dealer yeah. does. So just facilitate the deal. And so you're being fully transparent. You're showing, you know, the service records, like all the information around the car is, is visible. Yeah, we, and so, I mean, that is definitely one of the challenges is how do you bring all of the history of the vehicle to the site? So at the moment you can pay for that, you can, or you can go to the police if it's a GCC car. There are ways you can find the history, okay. but that's not easy, and we're trying to make that easier. So we've now partnered up with a, uh, with a company, which means if you want to go and buy a car, within 24 hours, we literally can inspect the car top to bottom, go through all of the service history, go through all of the insurance history, police records. We just make sure this car is clean. Mm. And that's going to cost you about 300 dirhams, but my God, it's 300 dirhams well, well, well spent. Well spent. Yeah. Within 24 hours, you can make an informed decision yeah. about that car. So. Yeah. so Craig, you touched on, and I'll come back to it later, a lot of digital transformation trends. Um, but, you know, at this stage, seven years in, there are some things that you've already sort of disrupted and found a place in the market. What was it like originally? You know, a lot of uh, entities and industries would think that they can do the digital part themselves. How did uh, Cars successfully build that relationship with the dealers? Yeah, patience. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to have lots of patience. Um, because, you know, you're dealing with a very traditional customer base and that's not being insulting to car dealers you know they are very good at what they do and what mm. they do is they buy bits of metal and they sell bits of metal and they manage big dealerships and you know to take them on that digital journey is about time it is about building proper partnerships you know they, they, they don't want someone coming into selling them something they want mm. someone who's going to help them on that that digital journey it's about investment you know we've invested a lot of money and building the right software, uh, enabling our data to be accessed in usable format for, for dealers so they can start buying and selling with confidence, not just the, the end consumer. It's about our operations team going out and taking photographs and just taking off some of the burden that the dealers have to, have to do. Because, you know, people think that car dealers make a lot of money because they're selling expensive cars, but actually their margins are quite tight. So, they've you know, they've got to be careful with their money. Okay. And, yes, yeah, so it's 
it's with that backdrop of margins are quite tight. You've got to make all this investment, and you've got to give it time. Mm. You know, and we're seven years in. I think we've done a fantastic job, um, but there's still another <laughs> ten, yeah. twenty years of work to do. I mean, yeah. You know, it never ends. Never yeah. ends. Definitely, I think you know a lot of the conversations we've been having is around that you know fourth industrial revolution, that continued digital transformation. It's just. It's you know the cat's out of the bag. It can't stop now. Yeah. And it's just it's going. Yeah. Um. But Greg, so the, did you work? Um. Uh, was your experience mostly on the you know branding automotive group side, or was it on the dealership? And how? Uh. Yeah. Some of your background. Yeah. So my my back. I've never worked for a car dealer. Okay. Never ever. And um. So my my background was originally in the UK with Auto Trader. Okay. So okay. I I so Auto Trader. I mean, I think this is where I learned. A lot of, I think, I know I learned a lot of my skills around digital transformation. So when I joined Autotrader back in 1996, before the internet really was invented, um, you know, we were a magazine business. And uh, so we had, uh, and I launched in Ireland as well. I launched Autotrader over in Ireland. And, you know, we had 13 magazines around the country. We had printing presses. We had four and a half thousand staff. Wow. Yeah. Sizable. <laughs> it was a big operation. <laughs> I had a thousand staff working for me, which sounds unbelievable now. Wow. Um, but we had to become a digital business, right? And uh, we went through this phenomenal journey of going from a magazine business to a digital business. Now, a lot of me- traditional media businesses never made that transformation. Um, and they didn't make it because they didn't really invest in their digital future. They tried to hold on to their printing past and add digital on. And we didn't do that. We said, look, digital's the future. We were very lucky. We had a very uh, visionary chief exec and we were uh, backed by a very visionary uh, private equity firm who just said, look, we're going full full guns on this. We mm. will be a digital business. Mm. And uh, yeah, over a period of five years, we transformed the whole business. Uh, we, we, we doubled revenues. Staff headcount went from 4,500 to 800 staff. In, in the five years, and we we basically built ourselves as a digital business, mm. and uh, you know we had this this motto, which doesn't sound very nice, but it is the only way I think our chief exec could get cut through was that if anyone's going to kill our baby, it's going to be us, mm. and our baby was our magazine. Mm. And we weren't going to let Facebook or Yahoo or Google do it; we were going to do it, mm. and we just set about doing that. And I think learning those skills—that's what I now do with our customers—and say, look. You know, you're going to have to. You're going to have to go on this journey because yeah. if you don't, someone's going to take your shares. Someone's going to take your business. You're going to be left behind. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think they're great skills to bring to business. Fascinating. It's great to hear. Personally, it's great to hear of a media success story in digital. Um, how did you do that? Was was the did the revenue models change? And oh, massively. And is that some of what you're doing now? It did. It, you know, I'm not massively familiar with the later years of, of other trader, but. Did it become the place where not only are you reviewing cars and people are kind of seeing what's the latest news, but they're also checking, they're also researching what they're going to buy? Yeah, I mean, it went so that as a magazine, it was a transactional um, cash mainly business. So we would go out, collect cash from dealers, they would advertise, and that was basically it was very transactional. You know, the business became a subscription business where dealers would uh, subscribe uh, on yearly contracts, there was no cash. Uh, we, we moved to direct debit and credit card payments. Um, and then we realized then we were sitting on a ton of data. And then that's when you started to then see the business go from just being a used car 
classified site to an online marketplace. Mm. So yeah, so it was about insurance, it was about finance, it was about residual values, it was about lifetime values of vehicles, it was about comparing new cars with used cars. It was, you know, it, it basically gave you everything you needed in that platform. And I think, you know, as a business, if you can get to the stage where you can own the customer and you can use your data to help the customer do things better, quicker, faster, easier, mm. you know, I think you're always gonna gonna win. But I think that means you have to look at your business model very differently. If we'd have just said, we want to be a classified site connecting buyers and sellers, we'd have stayed a classified site and someone would have mm. probably killed the business. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah. you have to think you know, differently when you become a digital business. And how do you do some of those things, You know, recognizing that you're, you've got a lot of data and knowing what to do with this, A, to uh, you know, go through it, but then B, to commercialize it. Do you, you you kind of hinted that you know there was investment there, but do you kind of go okay? We need to put fifty people on this and figure it out, and then try and you know hopefully in in the time frame it returns. I think just get one clever person to start <laughs> off with, rather than get fifty. Okay. I think you know yeah. I mean look you know if if you if you know that your business is reliant on data, which most digital businesses are, then you have to get someone in your business who knows data because hmm. the first problem you're going to have is ordering your data so you can do something meaningful with it. Because unless you're a brand new startup, you're going to be sitting in different data pots all over the place. You'll have customer data, you'll have transactional data, you know, it'll all be, and they won't talk to each other, and it'll be horrible. Hmm. So the first thing you're going to do is get someone to come in and map all that and plug it all in together. And then you need someone who then can actually turn this data into intelligence so the business can do something with it. Hmm. And uh, I, look, that's not a team of maybe if you Google, you can have a team of five thousand. Yeah. I think for most businesses, it's one person to start off okay. with who understands what they're doing. Yeah, and then when you get to a stage and you start getting some intelligence, then you can understand if you want to scale it or not. Okay, you've got something then. Otherwise, you could have fifty people going. I've got an idea. It sounds amazing. Yeah. We should do this. It's yeah. probably not a great idea. Yeah, so it is that sort of organic growth, sort of figure it out, and then. Yeah, because, and also, you know, what you think is valuable actually might not be valuable to your customer. So you might spend a year producing this most amazing, you know, data suite, and then the customer goes, that's completely useless to me. Mm. Uh, so I think, you know, it's, it's about working with your customers to make sure actually what you're producing really does create value. Mm. And I think, you know, the, the, the problem and the opportunity with data is it spits off lots of different things. So you could literally go down a, a rabbit hole very quickly. Mm. You could get very excited about something and go, hey, We've identified this. If we focus on this, mm. and you do it, and then you take it to the customer and go, "No, that's that's useless." Well, yeah. why, why have you just built that? Yeah, but it, but it is something you know, like with Doobie Cars, with other trader. If your clientele are the dealers, anything to help them increase their revenue, data is an interesting subscription model. But how much of that was strategic in terms of traditionally brands would like the audience that other trader and and Doobie Cars have so. Do you have different business models for revenue? Do you try and you know work with agencies? Do you try and kind of work with advertisers as well as dealers? We we do, but look, you know, our business is about working with car dealers and making car dealers successful. So anything that disrupts that or takes attention away from that key mission, we're not really that interested in. Look, if an agency came with us with some money and wanted to do a campaign, we'd do it. But we're not overly focused on that. You know, I think you've got a limited amount of attention from a consumer on your site, and we want them to engage with our customers. That's the main drive for us. Yeah. Uh, now, look, I think we're going to have huge opportunity with our data because we know things that no one else knows in terms of time to sell, price to sell, 
export versus local. There's a ton of stuff we know. And mm. the data journey I spoke about is what we're now doing is about, well, how do we start using this data to A, help our sellers and buyers, but also to help us monetize the assets that we've uh, we've got. So when we on-site revenue, it'll be off-site revenue through, yeah. through our data and insights. Yeah. Hey guys, I'm Casey Fitzgerald. And I'm Simran Gupta from Love in Dubai, your go-to source for everything local news. Be sure to watch the Love in Dubai show for the latest on what's going on in this city and beyond with exclusive interviews every single morning. We go live every day at 8.30 a.m. sharp and 9.30 a.m. on weekends. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram and TikTok. Find us at Love in Dubai. Well, Michael, you mentioned from Property Finder was on this podcast a few months ago, and even though I knew Property Finder, I, I until he explained it, I didn't fully, you know, the the penny dropped <laughs> in in terms of the business model uh, that it, it isn't necessarily subscription; it's an advertising business model, and that but the clients are the real estate brokers, so it's similar. So if if that's so clear to people then why is it so hard to execute on? <laughs> uh, well, in terms of from a competition perspective? Well, no, well in terms of um, industry. So, uh, well, you know, um, as you know, the, the classifieds, that historically newspapers would have had, you know, the uh, car listings yeah. and the yeah. property listings. And he tells a great story of that. At the start, he had a print magazine in Dubai and he was showing the property pictures and the prices. And Gulf News felt that that was a threat and they tried to do the same. And then he went online and they thought he'd gone away, uh, you know. But in the end, their business, which was classified for listings, went to Property Finder. Yeah. And is that what's happened? You know, again, like, you know, that sounds simple. But is it, it's not actually that hard, easy to execute on. It's, yeah. I mean, I, I, look, I think there's, you can impact two questions there. I think, you know, in terms of why did the initial traditional classifier businesses not win, right? So why did they not win? And that was newspapers, right? So newspapers should have won in recruitment. They should have won in dating. Okay. They should have won in cars. They should have won in property. Yeah. yeah they should have won in all Lots those Lots of areas. those verticals, yeah. All, they should have won in all of them. They had the audience. They had the content. Uh, why didn't they win? All right, I'm going to give a very broad sweeping statement here. But it goes back to what I spoke about in terms of they just didn't see digital as their future, right? Because the people that were running those businesses were ignorant to to what they they thought people aren't going to read content online people aren't going to move online you know this is a fad i went to some of the big uh, newspaper conferences and this was literally the narrative they were spurting out this is a fad it's not going to last you know um and they're in denial so they you know and i think you know they didn't even have photographs in their listings right so i mean it was a, it was just text uh, it was poor service no data no support for the customer expensive hmm. uh, and I think you know all those things meant that yeah I think the digital businesses just could come in and, and, and take it from them and I think that's what would have happened to Autotrader if it hadn't have been aggressive and digital. cannibalized its own business wow. because someone would just said these guys are lazy huge margins they're not yeah. taking it online let's kill it it's a daunting thing to have to do to kill your own business, isn't yeah, it? <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah. Well, as I say, I remember, I remember the conference. I remember the good old days where you had these fantastic leadership conferences and you'd be flown to lovely parts of the world and yeah. they're, they're gone now. Um, but, uh, and I remember the chief exec saying those exact words, you know, we're going to have to kill our own baby. Mm. And uh, if, if, that, if you don't have the stomach for it, then I suggest you leave because yeah. that's what we're going to do. Yeah. And, uh, 
Yeah. I think he had to use something like that to get the cut through. So we all sat up and went, okay. Okay. This is yeah. serious now. <laughs> this is serious. Yeah. And it yeah. worked. And where are other trader now? Have the, have the private equity firm cashed out or is it? Yeah, you know, it's, uh, yeah, the, the IPO'd and they're, they're listed ah, now. Wow. Uh, and they're, uh, yeah, I mean, I've got done all their valuation is now, but it's, uh, that's a great story. Yeah. <laughs> it's six, seven billion dollar uh, business. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, wow. Amazing. Um, so the car market, t- t- taking a sharp right, the car market in Dubai, Craig, what was your experience of it? You know, many people will have multiple touch points over the years. We know well-established uh, dealerships. What's what's it, your experience of it and what's the status quo? Yeah, I mean, the reason I, I wanted to come here was the fact that I could see the opportunity. So it... it Without sounding rude again, it reminded me of being back in the UK kind of 10 years ago in terms of where the dealer was. And I, I don't think that's uh, a negative for the dealer. I think it's a negative for the competition. The competition just hadn't helped the dealer move online, hadn't given the tools, hadn't given the data. So I could see that if someone came in and accelerated that, we were going to do quite well. So that that excited me. The export market is very exciting and completely offline. So I could see the opportunity to move that into the digital space. Um, and then speaking to the dealers, they, they were just desperate to work with a good quality partner. You know, there have been lots of online classified businesses that come in and, you know, gone within a month, gone within a year. Uh, there was the old competition that were here that weren't doing much. Um, so, yeah, there was definitely the opportunity. The dealers didn't know what they needed, but they knew where they needed to get to. So I knew that if we provided the right solutions, we'd get there. Um, so yeah, all those things added up to, yeah, I want, I want to come because I know I can make an impact here. And I know mm. if we build the right business around our customers, we're going, we're going to accelerate that. The, I think the big differences here compared to the markets I'm used to is, and it's changing, but is lack of competition. So, you know, in the UK where you'd have 200 dealers selling Toyota, okay, you've got one. Yeah. yeah, official dealer. Mm. You know, and if that official dealer decides that's the way they're going to do it, that's the way they're going to do it. And there's no one. I mean, there's brokers that can compete with them, but they do own the brand in, in the marketplace. I think lack of competition for the official dealers is something I'm getting used to. Yeah. But on the flip side, now we're seeing new entrants come into the market uh, who are just opening big car showrooms, doing everything online. Uh, who are now competing, I think, you know, and, and bringing new market, new models to the market. And I'm delighted to see that. I want to see more models come mm. to the market. Yeah. Uh, it's good for a marketplace. And GB cars as well, do you uh, focus on other Emirates as well? Yeah, look, yes, absolutely. Yeah. So we, I mean, we are, we're UAE based um, and we've got dealerships all the way across. And we deal with private sellers. So it's not just car dealers, private sellers on our site, and we deal with anyone that wants to sell a car right the way across the UE. And now, because of our export markets, uh, half our traffic comes from outside the UE. So we get traffic from Africa, KSA, Oman, Europe, uh, New Zealand, Sweden. I mean, literally, uh, the export market is, is literally global. Um, we are now getting sellers coming from outside the, uh, the UE who want to be on our platform. So we're getting dealers from KSA, from America, from Japan, okay. placing stock on our site because they get that global that global mm. reach, which uh, is exciting. Interesting. Can you just explain for the uninitiated the export market? Because the UAE doesn't have its own, doesn't manufacture cars. Yep. So how, why is the export market so big and who's the customer? Yeah. So, I mean, the reason it's so big is, uh, I mean, there's, if we take Africa on its own, right? Africa doesn't 
produce cars or manufacture cars. Okay, so they rely purely on importing cars. Um, and they want to import good quality cars at a good price with limited amount of shipping costs. And the UAE is perfectly situated for, for the African market. So we've got a massive pool from, from Africa. The second thing is the cars that are that do come to the UAE all are incredibly well specced. I mean, the spec is just bonkers, right? So okay. everything you could ever want in a car yeah. comes standard pretty much. Um, if it's GCC spec, roads are amazing. Every, every car comes with a service plan, so the cars are well serviced. There's you know good um, legislation in terms of keeping your car registered and inspected. So if you buy from here, you know you're buying with confidence. So this is a very attractive market globally because a it gets those good quality cars at good pricing and shipping is is very well priced. Mm. So yeah, so basically the GCC over order to cater for the export market. Mm. So they do sit on more stock knowing there are these export opportunities. And what we've done, yeah, which is really down to COVID, uh, was originally we were just passing leads to dealers. Now consumers could no longer travel and dealers want to, still wanted to sell cars. So we just basically digitized the process and we now manage the full transaction for the consumer. As so, well, okay. Yeah, so we, I mean, we've now physically shipped cars to over 50 countries. If it's outside of Africa, it's door to door. So if you're in Germany, I'll literally get the car to your door. In Africa, we can't do that, but we can get it to the nearest port of your choice. And we'll manage the full process. We inspect the car, we do the transaction, we do the paperwork, we organize the shipping, we've got a great shipping panel. Uh, you do it all through one of our account managers and it's okay. it's delivered. Okay, so it is to consumers as well directly? Oh, I, look, mostly it is consumers. Ah, okay. So these are people that know the car they want and previously they would have, so let's take Africa, it's a good example. In Africa, I'd go to a car dealer in Africa, he'd say, yeah, I can get that car for you. He'd then speak to a broker. Broker would then come to Dubai, kick a few, a few tires, deal with a dealer, add a bit of a margin on, you know, blah, 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 blah. We've now made that completely transa uh, transparent. So the African buyer contacts us. They see the car they want. We inspect it. We do the transaction. We organize the shipping. It gets sent to you. I mean, if it's KSA within 24 hours, if it's Europe, it's in a week. If it's Africa, it's within two weeks and it's delivered. And mm. the customer saves on average 10 to 15%. The dealer makes more margin because he hasn't got the broker he's got to pay. Everyone wins above yeah. the broker. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Right. I knew a few uh, car dealers growing up in school and, and my brother was in the industry. And whenever I heard of import and export, it was all to do with saving money. It was all to do with the tariffs of over the customs and things like that. Are the, are the customs and tariffs favorable out of the UAE or does that help as well? Yeah, definitely. And there's actually a, uh, one part of Dubai which is set up for just the export markets called Dukamps. Uh, and those cars aren't subject to any tax. So they literally come in and they, get, they can't sell them into the, into the local market, but they can okay. sell them straight out again. So yeah. So that's favorable, yeah. It's favorable. It's quick. It's very easy. I mean, you know, Dubai is an export hub, right? So it's very good at getting product out. Uh, What's the benefit to Dubai then? What's the cut if there's no? Yeah, the benefit to Dubai in uh, in Dukamps is that they've obviously got dealers who are paying the municipality to be there. Okay, um, and they're taking product in and out. Um, so yeah, I think that's where the, the big benefit comes from from Dubai, okay. and the Port Authority love them. Um, so. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. For them. interesting. <laughs> Good to know. Thanks for explaining. Um, so, you, you're, Greg, you're obviously someone who believes strongly in digital transformation. Um, and when we talk about smart mobility and, and the automotive industry, there's so many topics, there's so many 
things. If you had to explain, rather than I'll take the easy way out, rather than ask you a question on a particular pop topic, what are the kind of mega trends or what's kind of on your horizon for the next 12 months or, or so? Yeah, I mean, look, the, the, the mega trends, well, the, the first mega trend is a short term trend, which is lack of semiconductor chips in the market. Okay. So the, the industry is just re, I mean, this isn't just cars, there's anything that requires this particular chip that's made in Korea and China. They just can't get enough of them, right? Because the factories were closed. So even if you wanted a new car now, it's difficult to get one because they can't make them fast enough. So the, yeah. the, the first mega trend, which in our lifetime we've never seen, is car manufacturers just can't produce cars fast enough. So that's, that's a mega trend, which is interesting, which is having an impact on used cars, a very good positive on used cars, because if you can't get a new car, you're going to buy a used car. So that's good. But I think the mega trends going forwards, uh, and we're yet to see it here, but you're starting to see it in the UK, in America, in Europe, is obviously electric cars. That's, that's the first big trend, right? And I'm sure here, I can see Dewar now are pushing installations uh, for, for, for electric cars and so on. We're going to start seeing more electric product come into the market, no doubt about it. And I think, I think it will happen quite quickly. Okay. I think there's definitely people saying, no, no, the, this market loves its V8s. Mm. I think we're going to get to a stage where the moms are in the car park dropping their kids off and they go, oh, your car's quiet. Oh, it's an electric one. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> and I think that'll just yeah. trigger everything, I think. Yeah. So I think we'll see that happen quite quickly. So Megatrends is definitely electric cars. I think, you know, autonomous driving and vehicles, it's a trend. It's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen in my lifetime, personally. I think there's so much legislation and so much that needs to change. It will definitely happen at some stage and it makes absolute sense but it's not going to happen in, in my time. I think um, you know cars becoming clever in terms of supporting you while you're driving, well, of course, that's good. And you can see that already. And some of the uh, innovation in cars now, uh, where they literally are, they are driving, but you don't know they're driving for you, I think is going to continue. But to actually have a car driving itself, as soon as there's one crash, unfortunately, everything gets put back another four or five mm. years. Yeah. Uh, so that's definitely going to be a trend. I don't think actually electric is the future. For cars, I, I think, you know, it's the thing to cling on to now because it's the right thing to do. But if you read anything about, you know, what's required to make these cars, there's only so many natural minerals and, and uh, products available to make these batteries. So unless they radically change batteries in the next five, six years, we're going to run out of all the elements required to make these cars. So, okay. And that's why the Japanese are focused on hydro vehicles, you know, water to, to support the car and drive the car rather than electric. So I think this... Fascinating. Some yeah. interesting stuff going on there. So, yeah. so Elon Musk was right when he needs to do the batteries to power his Teslas. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure Elon, Elon Musk will jump on the next thing and, and drive <laughs> that. But uh, yeah, he was. Yeah. I think you know where he's been smart is to focus on the battery really and uh, and, and okay. the technology that sits within it. Okay, that's fascinating. Yeah, thanks for bringing up the microchip because it's been one of the sort of business stories post COVID, hasn't it, to do with supply chain and everything like that. But luckily, if for you, it's actually one of the tailwinds that's helping the business. Yeah, but only that can only last so long. We, you know, a, a used car was a new car once. So if we don't get those new cars in, the yeah. used car park is just going to shrink. So we need the new cars in at some stage. Okay. Hopefully by the end of the year. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, and uh, when you talked about the automated driving, so there's obviously a lot of investment and energy put into that space. But uh, I saw recently that GM have partnered with uh, one of the telcos in the US to have 5G in the car. So do you think what we'll be driving then will become 
more uh, more of a computer and more of a yeah. Yeah, I think. Look, I think the car it, it, it's already going in that direction. Right? The car is going to be the connected vehicle, right? And the car is going to talk to other cars. It's going to talk to the dealership. It's going to talk to the manufacturer. Okay. It's going to talk to the police. It's going to you know it's going to be completely connected. I think there's going to be a big announcement coming out soon about one car manufacturer. Uh, working with uh, with Apple, it hasn't been. There's been some rumours, but okay. it's big enough. So I think definitely technology companies and car manufacturers are going to collide because that's where that that's where they're going to butt heads is over the technology that sits in that car. It's not the design of the car or anything else. It's the technology that sits within that car. Mm. So I think we're going to see more collaboration uh, and more merges between technology companies and car companies. Uh, and uh, and look, I think even with COVID, that's now got car manufacturers thinking about making cars offices. So actually, you could work from your... You could mm. be on your drive, and you've got everything you need within your car, and it's mm. your little office, mm. and you can take that office wherever you want. And I think COVID... WFC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, work from car, or SUV. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I think working from your car is going to become a big thing as well, because, yeah, if you've got great connection in your car, if you've got all the screens in your car, mm. if it's a beautiful seat and you've got space, well, why not work from your car? Yeah. Exactly. Fascinating. It's really interesting. I haven't heard that lens before, that, that a narrative around electric not being in the future. And that's interesting for this region as they diversify away from oil, but also obviously there's a runway to go there as well. Some of the other things that you know people in the automotive industry are innovating with are um, different types of uh, different types of business models. There's uh, you know, we've had Uber and Kareem obviously disrupt that type of ride hailing. And then there's, you know, short term rentals and things like that. Is any of that on, on and scooters and different types of mobility? Is any of that on your horizon? Are you solely focused on the car dealership space? No, look, we're, we're a marketplace. Right? So we want to connect buyers, sellers, renters, leasers. It doesn't matter. It's not just about selling the vehicle. I think the the different models that you mentioned, um, you can see some of the companies now starting to to invest in these these different areas where you can hire a car for an hour or ride share or you can lease a car for a month and whatever. There's loads of different models. No one's really got to scale with that as yet. But yeah, I think what we're going to see is this complete fragmentation of the marketplace. I think the traditional buying selling model is is not going to be the future. I think it's going to be a combination of things. I think there'll be buying, selling, hiring, leasing, rental, um, sharing. And, and we've got to accommodate for all of those things. And we've got to be able to compare. So when you come to make a decision, I can tell you the best thing to do based on your circumstance. You know, what's going to be the most effective, most efficient, save you money. Um, and then you can make an informed decision. You can say, okay, well, in that case, then I'll rent for a month because that's the okay. best thing to do at this point in time. Yeah. So you can do that with that data. So to that point, what are you investing in on DB cars? Are you are you working on payment gateways? Are you doing a lot more SEO? Like how how much of your resources and and team is focused on a digital product? Yeah, I mean SEO definitely. So I would say probably 40-50% of our tech time is focused on on SEO because that's key to to the audience. And then the rest of our time then is focused on is split evenly between building out the tool set for the dealers. Uh, so we launched a SaaS platform for dealers. Uh, we were the first in the region to launch a SaaS platform for dealers to help them market cars and manage leads. It's been phenomenally successful, but the trouble is when you start a SaaS platform, you can't leave it because your customers want more and more and more. So we're investing in more tools into that platform. And then on the marketplace side, it's all about, as I said earlier, getting the customer to a stage where they can make an online decision. 
So our investment is in data. We're going to relaunch the look and feel of the site this uh, next month uh, about bringing more tools into the journey. Uh, so you, you, know, you could make a decision. If you wanted to, you could make that decision online, and that's what you'll see more from us. So, Craig, being here for three years and you know, leading Doobie Cars, what, what is the competition in the market, and how have you found it? Yeah, I mean, no one uh, competes directly with us because, as I said earlier, I mean, we're, we're focused on the vertical of, of cars, we're focused on the export market, and we're focused on supporting dealers with SaaS platforms and whatever else. So no one's directly competing. But, of course, there are marketplaces out here. And uh, it's funny, I, you know, I never thought I'd ask this, but I wish our competition was better. Oh. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, transforming a marketplace to become a digital marketplace is difficult. And I think if the competition were professional in the way they acted, that would just support everybody. It would help car dealers get online faster. It would give consumers a better experience. It would help the overall market. But unfortunately, our competition seem to want to spend more time focused on us and telling customers information about us, which is not true, rather than actually focusing on their own business and innovating. And I think that that lack of professionalism just gets customers to have less trust in what we're doing mm. as, a, as an industry. And I think, you know, as an industry, we've got to pull together to all work together to help dealers sell cars, to help consumers sell cars, and to help consumers buy cars. And if we all did that, mm. I think the market would be a much better place. Why do you think that is? Why are they focused on competition rather than their own product? Yeah, I, look, I think you'd have to ask them that. But I, I think it's because we're now at a stage where we are seen as the go-to platform for car dealers. So, you know, if the competition are trying to negotiate price, if the competition are trying to sell some new stuff in, the car dealer has a choice now. And I think because they've got a choice and they're voting with their feet, the competition are struggling to get past that and they're focusing on trying to play us down rather than play themselves up. And, that, mm. and that's just not good for anybody. It's not healthy. It's not healthy. And it's, as I say, you know, car, car dealers need to trust this space. And if the competition are, are doing stuff like that, it just doesn't help anybody mm. build trust. And it doesn't help the dealers as well, who, like you explained earlier, they, they, they have a legacy of successful business model and they need to have that trusted partner. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think, you know, uh, if the competition are listening, I, I beg you, please uh, take this seriously and, and, you know, work with this to raise the standards rather than work against us to pull the standards down. It's, it's refreshing to hear. You're not shaming them. You're saying, let's do this together and let's make the industry healthier overall. Yeah, because look, there's so many opportunities for all of us to be successful in this marketplace. Uh, you know, let's compete on the right right areas, okay. not in the wrong areas. Yeah. And you've been part of, as you told us, a, a successful sort of digital growth story with Autotrader and uh, Michael from Property Finder has had success in raising funds. Is that a path that GB Cars will go down as well? Yeah, in fact, we're just about to start uh, the fund now. I think you know we wanted to see how we got on with our export safe solution, which is the online transactions for export buyers, and uh, it, it it's flying. Um, I mean, the business is up 140%, 150% year on year at the moment. So okay. w we know now what to do to send a car to anywhere in the world. Amazing. And uh, yeah, with the right funds, we could build a, a click and ship model, which would be amazing for uh, for the yeah. customer. So yeah, we know where we're going. Okay. Just needs a bit more money to do it. Yeah, so yeah. to invest in that. Fascinating. So interesting to think of Dubai like that. There was a, a guest from a construction company, and they're doing... Uh, 
portable houses, what a better word for that, but they're doing prefab houses for the UK from Dubai. Oh, right, okay. So they're flat packing yeah. them from Jebel Ali and the, the rationale, like, so Dubai is becoming more and more, not just export, but manufacturing as well. Yeah. Uh, Saudi have invested in lucid cars there with some articles that maybe they would manufacture them in, in the kingdom. Egypt, I think, have different sort of stories going on there as well. As an emerging market, and, and you've been here a few years, what's what's your outlook of, of that? You know, are you optimistic about the Middle East that it will, an emerging market that will emerge? And will we see other things within your industry typical of sort of uh, more advanced markets? Yeah, look, I, I'm very optimistic. I mean, I think firstly, um, I think the UE just did a phenomenal job through COVID, not just about managing COVID, but also transforming itself and making it easier to work here, easier to stay here, mm. easier to do business here. I mean, you know, they had a lot of things to deal with and, and they managed to drive through an agenda of change. So I think that set them up brilliantly, I think, for the future. So yeah, look, I think what I see here is because Dubai is a great export destination, because it has access to good labor at good prices, I think you know, the opportunities here now to manufacture, produce, export means that you know yeah i think the the future is very bright for for this part of the world uh and i think you know it, it's he it used covid unintentionally but did it brilliantly as a, as a platform to demonstrate that this is a good place to do business and uh i think yeah i think i'm very positive so yeah. i think the, we're seeing it in the in the car market uh, we're seeing it in the property market yeah uh, as you say we're seeing it in, in different parts of manufacturing uh i think the the future looks bright Amazing. Good note to finish on. But you're you're here for the long haul. Your kids are in school here. You're they are. Away. You're happy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we, we went back to the UK uh, over summer. We managed to get into the UK via Iceland. Uh, long wow. story, but that was, that was the only way we <laughs> could quarantine. Again. Iceland yeah. was amazing. But uh, wow. yeah, I think, you know, uh, we were in the UK. It was lovely to see uh, friends and family. But um, yeah, I was very happy to come back. I think there's an air of optimism and positivity here which uh, the rest of the world is not seeing at the moment. And I think that gives us a good head start. Great. Well, thanks for your time this morning, Craig. Thanks for this journey. And we'll follow you and DB Cars as you continue to grow. Perfect. Thank, Thank you. you. So that was episode 135 of Dubai Works. It's part of the Smashy streaming platform. You can download the Smashy app on iOS and Android or log in on smashy.tv. Uh, seven days free trial. You can watch all our other shows there or any of the previous episodes. Later this week, we're going to sit down for episode number 136 with Tayal Baya from Baizat, which is a HR and uh, you know employee management software. Um, so a good success story from Dubai again in the startup space. We'll also be at the Arab Social Media Forum on Wednesday where Hala and the team will be interviewing all the different presenters uh, from that as well. Um, if you happen to be there, you can register on the Arab Social Media Forum website uh, for a ticket and you can meet us there. Uh, so lastly, just do the duties of thanking our producers, Ali Baba and Shahir Al-Kindi. Thank you so much, guys. and look forward to speaking to you all on Thursday.